Oliver Stone. Nothing personal. Word of the day. Today is June 10th, 2021. It is Thursday. If you can't hear me, that's my fault. I am not where I normally am. I'm not sure where I ever normally am. I'm not on a road trip. I'm just not with the equipment that I normally use to record this show with Matthew Coca. So I'm screaming into an actual computer. I hope you can hear me, but we'll be back to normal come tomorrow. Thank you. This message has been brought to you by no sponsor at all. Thursday, June 10th, Oliver Stone. Do you know who Oliver Stone is? I had an argument with Coca again. We're going over the show like we always do. And I said, Oliver Stone, people get it. People saw JFK and the movie, JFK, Kevin Costner, the conspiracy theories about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I was told that that joke may go over some people's head, but I made it on Twitter. I'm making it again right now for you this morning on Nothing Personal. Why? Because it's a big story in baseball right now. And I have spent the better part of the night going in and out of days, thinking about how to respond to Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo, the guy who broke the rookie record for home runs. Pete Alonzo, who is heading toward a big payday in his mind. Pete Alonzo, who wants to get paid like Francisco Lindor, maybe more than Lindor. Given how Lindor is hitting for the first place Mets, maybe he should get more than Lindor. But what I'd really like to understand is what made Pete Alonzo answer the question he answered last night when asked about the baseballs, about the substances, a general question, and out of nowhere, he said that the commissioner, MLB, and the owners change the balls according to who's going to be a free agent. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets said today, yesterday, depends when you're listening to this. doesn't matter when he said it. He simply said that in his opinion, MLB takes a look at the free agent class. And if there's going to be a bunch of pitchers becoming free agents the following year, they deaden the ball. Hold on. Cut that, Coca. All right. I'm totally out of sorts. Here we go. Ready? 40, 80, 69. Pete Alonzo yesterday claimed that MLB changes the balls according to players when they are going to become free agents. If more pitchers are becoming free agents, they want to juice the ball. So therefore, the offense will be better. Therefore, pitchers' statistics will be worse. When position players are going to be free agents, like this year, he hypothesized with all the shortstops becoming free agents, he said, then baseball deadens the ball. So the offensive statistics don't look good. So the players don't get paid. When asked whether or not he thought that MLB was actually doing this, he said, we talk about it in the clubhouse. It's a fact. I would like to tell you what goes on inside a clubhouse because conversations do take place regarding balls. Lots of conversations regarding balls, actually. And there is a difference with the seams. Sometimes players feel the seams are raised. They sometimes don't feel them as strongly. Sometimes they feel like the balls are not roughed up and dirty enough or wet enough or heavy enough or soft enough. 
There's definite ball talk. But no player, no time, nowhere has ever stated that they thought that MLB was doing the following. And I want to tell you what Pete Alonzo thinks is going on. And I did this. So I'm here to just say, um, Mia culpa. Pete, you caught me. I actually took a syringe to every single ball. Right when we were going to sign free agent pitchers like Al Leiter or Mark Burley or Wei-In Chen, do you know what I did the year before, knowing that that was going to happen? I took a syringe and I put juice in every ball that the Marlins used that entire season. I did that. But then when we were going to sign Giancarlo Stanton, I didn't want him to hit a home runs. So here's what I did then. I actually unwrapped each of the balls. I took out some of the string. And then I put instead of twine, which is actually what happens when you knock the cover off the ball, knock the leather off the ball. I actually replaced it with cotton balls. Please don't say anything to anyone, Pete. I'm going to get in so much trouble. I'm going to get fined like $25,000 for tampering with baseballs. Oy, oy, oy. Are you kidding me? Do you for one second think that the commissioner's office would have balls changed because they study the free agent classes? Let me just make sure I understand this. Because is there a particular year like this year coming up? Trevor Story, you're right, he's a free agent. That guy, uh, what's his name with the Cubs? Baez, he's a free agent. <clears throat> Hold on, Rizzo, he's a free agent. Hmm, any pitchers or free agents? Probably not. It's true, this year's all position players. And then last year when Garrett Cole got $324 million, hmm, I, yeah, G-M-A-B. This is simply not the case. I spent a lot of time yesterday talking to my old friends in baseball, not looking for sources, not looking for scoop, just talking about the kind of ridiculousness that is Pete Alonzo. And why is it him talking or is he speaking on behalf of the union? And this is where the conversation gets interesting. Pete Alonzo coming out and saying what he said yesterday, I'd like to dismiss it. And that's why Oliver Stone is the word of the day, because I don't want anyone to take it seriously. The problem is other players see this, fans see this, and then it gets them thinking, the big bad owners, the big bad commissioner. Keep in mind that there is a collective bargaining agreement that's about to be negotiated. The level of distrust between the parties is at an all-time high. We have to stop this hyperbole. We have to stop these statements that are being made by owners, by players, by the commissioner, by the head of the union, because none of it is serving the purpose that we want as fans. The purpose and the goal that we want is continuing to have baseball without a break. So the number one reaction that people within the industry had for Pete Alonso and his statements is what a bad sign it was about upcoming negotiations. Not one person with whom I spoke, and many of them were myself, I would just move to the left and say, David, what do you think of what Pete Alonzo said? Well, I did no way I, that can't be. Wait, can it? Would Rob Manford do that? David, don't you be ridiculous. Rob Manford would never do that. But I know who would do that. Michael Hill, the new guy in baseball, you worked with him. You saw him shoot up balls, right? Well, yeah, but we were playing pool at the time. 
That's the kind of conversation I was having with myself. And then I got a little sleep. Meanwhile, Pete Alonzo, if I'm the owner of the Mets, Steve Cohn, I'm taking stock of my team right now. I really want to focus sort of on where I am as a team. And I started thinking a lot about the Mets and I was watching them beat Baltimore last night. First of all, what they did to Matt Harvey, Matt Harvey, who was, remember when he was Batman, I actually just had the epiphany yesterday. Can I admit this, Coca? We didn't talk about this pre-show. I didn't realize why Matt Harvey was called Batman. And that was his nickname. And today, as I was about to do the show, it occurred to me that Harvey is a character in the Batman movies. Is that right? Is that why he's named Batman? I actually don't know the answer to that. And I'm wrong. We see, we don't rehearse nothing personal. We just, he was the dark knight. Yes, he was not bad. <laughs> Time out. Coke, it's our, just wipe it, wipe it, wipe it. Six, eight, nine. Last night I was watching the Mets absolutely crush Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey's career's done. I think we know that. I'm not sure the Orioles are going to designate him for assignment, but I do know that Matt Harvey will never turn into what he was supposed to be. But I was far more focused on Pete Alonso and the rest of the Mets offense with these dead balls and how absolutely impossible it is to hit home runs. I think the, Met, the Mets had 17 home runs in yesterday's game against the Orioles. I think it was 17 or 18, and they won 49 to four or something. Some outrageous score on the day that Pete Alonso talked about all his conspiracy theories of changing the balls, et cetera. But I was thinking about the Mets being in first place in the division in the NL East. And I was thinking, what is Steve Cohn doing right now? And I follow him on Twitter and he says interesting things like, hey, everyone seems to be happier when we win. Or, hey, wouldn't it be good to get a win tonight? You know, whatever. I'm not really focused on that. What I'm focused on is, does he consider this season a success so far? Because I know he's been told that the Mets have the best record they've had in like five years. I think they were a game better in 2016 than they are now, which would put them, uh, 16 was the last time they made the playoffs. That could be the year they went to the World Series and lost to the Royals, but that could be 15 because 16 was the Cubs. So that was 15, but the Mets did make the playoffs in 16, as I recall. But I do know that their record this year is just one game worse than what it was in 16. So I'm wondering if Steve Cohn is saying, hey, I got it all figured out. I think we're good to go. I'm happy with Lindor. Imagine we're in first place right now, but Lindor's hitting just over 200. We've had DeGrom, obviously the best pitcher on the planet. I think we're good. Well, what Steve Cohen should be focusing on and what I hope he and Sandy Alderson are doing right this very second, I assume what they're doing is figuring out their deadline strategy. This is going to be very telling for a new owner. There's nothing better than being a new owner who wins because you get to go to owner's meetings as the new kid on the block and everyone looks at you and they hate you. I'm not sure they love Steve to begin with, but Steve, as a really competitive Wall Street guy, I know that he wants nothing more than to win the division this year and to make a deep playoff run. So I'm wondering who's in his ear. And we know Sandy Alderson's in his ear, but I'm wondering if you, the fan, are you in his ear? Because he engages with you on Twitter. He likes to hear suggestions from you on Twitter. So I have an idea for all the Mets fans out there. And Riley, if you're listening to this up at Stanford at CBS Sports HQ, here's what you should do. I want every Mets fan to at Steve Cohn on Twitter, and I want you to suggest to him that in order for them to proceed in the playoffs, they're going to need the following two things. One, they're going to need another back end of the bullpen. 
Two, they're going to need someone like Lance Lynn. Three, they're going to need an outfielder, believe it or not, an outfielder sort of like sort of sort of like Starley Marte, but we're going to talk about him later in this show if we can get to it. Four, another starting pitcher. Five, one more starting pitcher. You should add Steve Cohn and tell him to start spending. Not necessarily money. He can spend prospect capital if he wants, but the Mets are going to need reinforcements. And the reason I'm interested in telling him now is that new owners have a tendency when they're a third done with the season, even though now we're just really starting the middle part of the season. We're early in the middle part. When things are going well, you feel like they're going to stay going well. You feel like you don't want to do anything. And you actually look at things that have gone negatively for the Mets or for your team. And you say, look, we have overcome that, which means we're even better than what our record is now. And then you get complacent and then you find yourself out of the playoffs. So what I'm watching for here as the season progresses is what Steve Cohn does during the second third of the season, what the Mets do during the second third of the season, because they've got the best pitcher on the planet. They've got a total malcontent in Pete Alonso. And to me, it's going to be quite fascinating. We're going to watch it. They were supposed to take over New York, as you recall, but they're not. The Yankees still have New York. Did you watch the game last night? I did. I was watching a bunch of games. I watched Josh Donaldson of the Twins get absolutely frozen by Garrett Cole. Did you listen to yesterday's Nothing Personal? Are you watching on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel? Are you downloading? Are you subscribing? Are you following? I appreciate it. Thank you. Tell your friends. Let's keep going. So the Yankees had a big game against the Twins. And the big story of the game was what was going to happen with Cole and his substances. Was he going to use spider tack? Was he going to be able to perform well not using a foreign substance? Was he still going to use a foreign substance? Was he going to hit Josh Donaldson, who called him out for using foreign substances? There were lots of subtexts, lots of stories, lots of drama. There was a picture that was posted on the Twitter of Josh Donaldson wearing like a rib protector, like he was going to play football, fully expecting that he may get hit by Cole. And I looked at that and I said, no, I, I don't think that Donaldson has it right. And Josh Donaldson's a great guy. I actually met him uh, right after his own arbitration hearing. I don't remember who he was playing for, Coco, when he went to arbitration at all. I can't believe I can't remember. It was not the Blue Jays, I don't believe. Um, I cannot believe I can't remember. We were on the steps of a hotel in Tampa, the Renaissance Vinoy, and we started talking about the arbitration process. And this is back when he was, before he started getting hurt. I mean, he's one of the best players. He was with the A's. Thank you, Coco. You are correct about that. And we taught, we were talking about small revenue teams and Oakland and Miami and arbitration. And we just had a jolly old time. And now I'm watching him call out pitchers saying he's got video. And that's not really his personality that he would do that. He's much more of a private guy. So I was wondering whether he was doing something purposefully. Then I watched him during tonight's game, during last night's game, excuse me, and I realized that uh, Josh Donaldson is now on a team that not only are they so bad, so bad the Twins are, but Donaldson's just lost his way. He's lost his focus. He's not the guy who wears a rib protector out there scared of Garrett Cole because he knows very well that Garrett Cole doesn't want base runners, especially with the way home runs are being hit this year. Everyone trying to hit the two and three run home run. No one is going to be hitting Donaldson to put him on base, especially Garrett Cole, who's all concerned about whip, et cetera, et cetera. So the game starts 
And I was wondering if I were the president of the Twins, am I calling the umpires and asking them to warn the Yankees before the game even starts? And the answer is yes, and I want to tell you why. If you can get an umpire to warn a team before a game even starts, that means that any time a hitter gets hit by a pitch, that pitcher by definition is going to get ejected. The purpose of getting a warning given to a team is to make sure that even in a mistake situation where there's a hit by pitch, even though the umpire has some discretion, nine out of 10 times, the umpire is going to eject the pitcher. So when I'm facing the ace of the other team, I am focused on getting him out of the game. I'm focused on getting the game rained out. I'm focused on maybe having the roof not work. I'm focused on starting the pitchers warming up, even though I know a big rainstorm is coming. Or I'm focused on seeing if there's going to be any sort of HBP drama that I can get the umpires to do a pregame warning. Umpires don't do it that often. They didn't do it in this game, but it's something I definitely would have asked for had I been the twins. So Garrett Cole pitches, and the question is, how did he do? And the answer is, if you are a number three starter, if you are making eight to $12 million per year, Cole had a great start. You guys are going to get pissed at me, aren't you? All you Yankee fans. Is six innings giving up two runs what you want from Cole? Is that it? Are you good? You're fine? Well, <clears throat> as a baseball executive, I'll tell you that I'm not fine with that. The reason that I have Garrett Cole is I need him to use the foreign substances and I need him to go eight innings on average seven plus for sure, because I don't want my bullpen at all to have to get any work because they've got to get so much work the rest of the week, the rest of the time. I thought Cole looked fine though, Coca. Do you think he was using foreign substances? Hmm. Hmm. I'll bet you a dollar the following is going on with Garrett Cole right now. He's doing exactly what he always was doing. Don't kid yourself. Okay, we're going to come back and talk about a show that I watched that I'm trying to get Coca to watch. And it's, it's really quite a great movie. And then we're going to get into a little bit of football and something that happened yesterday that simply shocked me in terms of what we're dealing with with COVID-19. Absolutely shocked me. Stick around. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Today is Thursday, June the 10th. I can't believe I whiffed on talking about June 9th yesterday. That really bothers me, Coca. 6-9. 6-9. Anyway, I get to watch a movie every day, and I have been on a great movie kick. I've seen a lot of good movies recently, and I watched one yesterday that has a chance to crack my top 100. I have to think about it. The way it works is I carry around my top 100 movies. Whenever I watch a movie, I look at the top 100 list. And if it's definitely not going to make it in, then I don't put it in, in handwriting on the typewritten list that I carry around. If there's a chance it could crack the top 100, it actually goes in handwriting on the side of the piece of paper. 
right now sitting there is Sound of Metal from last year. And I just added the movie I watched yesterday called Riders of Justice. Riders of Justice is a Danish movie in Danish starring Mads Mikkelsen, the guy who I told you to see in another round, the guy who shed blood in Casino Royale, an incredible actor. This is a movie about a man. It's a man who suffers from a tragedy. His wife dies in a train accident, spoiler alert, and he is forced to deal with having a teenage daughter without a wife, trying to find out who did what to who and why. And he ends up teaming up with three people. And it's three Danish actors I'd never heard of. And they form a foursome as they try to figure out what went on. I cannot stress to you enough that this movie develops characters in a way that English-made movies and English-spoken movies rarely do. The depth of character study, the depth of character analysis in this movie is staggering. The movie has relationships, not just between the four men, between the men and the children, between the bad guys and the good guys, between the bad guys and the bad guys, between the good guys and the good guys, between the children and the bad guys, the children and the good guys, everyone together. And you care about each character because they're developed so perfectly. I try to give you suggestions of movies to watch. I hope you will take this one. It's called Riders of Justice. I rented it for $6.99, and I would have done $19.99 in two seconds flat because that's what you would use to pay for go to a movie anyway. And don't watch the English dubbed version. Watch it in Danish with English subtitles. And the reason I suggest that is that the English dubbed version, that's not Mads Mikkelsen. Riders of Justice. Check it out. Check it out. I think that's a John Cougar Mellencamp song, but it may not be. Is it Coco? Check it out. No, maybe not. Okay. Uh, I, I have to admit something, and you know I admit anything to you because I, I'm honest with you. I never heard of Montez Sweat. Montez Sweat, I discovered upon research, meaning Coca told me, he was a first-round draft pick in 2019 by the Washington Red football team. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> by the Washington football team, WFT. But doesn't matter what team he's on. What matters is that he gave an interview about the COVID-19 vaccine and the things he said caused me great, great concern and should cause you concern too. He was asked because the NFL, like Major League Baseball and like the NBA, they're trying to get players vaccinated. They're trying to get players vaccinated because they've made an agreement with the players union that if you get vaccinated and an overwhelming majority of your team gets vaccinated, then you will get to relax your COVID protocols. Then you will have the ability to have team meetings, have the ability to joke around and play around on the plane. You can go to dinner. You can get back to living your life. And what teams are doing is trying to get their players vaccinated, but there's so much mistrust between the clubhouse and the front office that Montez Sweat, out of nowhere, was asked, what is it that you think about the team bringing vaccine experts to talk to you and encourage you to get vaccinated? And his answer, I don't like it. I'm not going to get vaccinated, I don't think. 
until I get more facts. Uh, let, let, let me repeat the question. Um, my name is David Sampson, and I'm the president of a baseball team, and I'm bringing in an independent doctor who specializes in communicable diseases, not the STD variety, and he's an epidemiologist, and he's got a degree, and he's going to talk to you about the benefits of getting vaccinated. Do I want you to get vaccinated? You're goddamn right I do. But this is not someone on my payroll. This is an independent doctor, an expert. And you want to get more facts? Who are you going to get it from? And then he was asked why there's a hesitation in getting the vaccine. And this is when I got scared. His quote answer was, I haven't caught COVID yet. I don't see me treating COVID until I actually get COVID. Hmm. That means if you can take some sort of pill that stops you from getting herpes, you don't do it. You'd rather just wait till you get the herpes and then treat the herpes. Hmm. Okay. I'm not going to deal with pregnancy until I'm pregnant. Don't need to take the pill. I'll do the day after shot. Take my chances. Pull and pray. Does that make any sense? We've got a disconnect with players right now. Sam Darnold, that has nothing to do with religion, color, height, weight. Sam Darnold had another issue, similar issue to sweat. I'm talking about Sam Darnold, the same guy who missed a month of the season with mono, for Christ's sake, back in 2019. He doesn't want to take the vaccine either. His view is that he can wait, check it out. trying to decide how I would get my players to do this. And I came to the conclusion, the sad conclusion, preparing for this show, that I would wash my hands of it. Because all it would do is frustrate me realizing that the players don't understand the benefit of how we used to run the team. Now, maybe it's because we hadn't made the playoffs in a long time. Maybe it's because we only won one World Series. Maybe it's because they just think the front office doesn't know what the hell they're doing. But when we have a way that we like running the team, when we make certain rules, what is it that you think we benefit by you being vaccinated? We don't make more money because you're vaccinated. If we made more money because you got vaccinated, let's pretend the government had a subsidy program where they were paying companies to get their employees vaccinated. For every employee who gets vaccinated, you get a million dollars. I'm in. I'll take the criticism. And by the way, I would hold you down until you got vaccinated and then give you half a million out of the million and we'd each have half a million dollars. But short of the financial incentive, do you not realize that I'm running the team trying to win as many games as I can? I'm running the team trying to put our team in the best position we can to win. I'm running the team doing anything I can. And if I can have the team operated the way it always has been in terms of the way meetings happen, the way socialization happens, trying to get good chemistry on and off the field, why do you have to think that I'm doing something against your beliefs or against your morals or against your codes? Or why do you have to believe that I'm trying to manipulate you into doing something? This goes back to the subject we started this show with. The absolute distrust between management and players in all these sports is at an all-time high. 
And this is not just in sports. I mean, Coco, we have to do it. We are a show, we do entertainment, we do politics, we do sports, we do baseball. The politics of the COVID-19 vaccine, you can't deny it. It's real, it's out there. The politics of COVID, whether you're on the right side of the aisle or the left side of the aisle, you have a position and now you're associated with a certain position as it relates to COVID according to how you vote for president. And that makes no sense. S-E-N-S-E or sense, C-E-N-T-S. It makes nothing at all to do with reality. If I had one thing I could say to Montez Sweat, I know what it would be. Montez, do me one favor. You choose the expert. You choose the person who can come in and talk to you about why it's better to get a vaccine. You speak to your college coach or your high school coach or speak to another player on another team. Talk to anybody you want. I want you in charge. I don't often give up power to players. I don't like doing it. I don't like giving decision-making power to players. I don't like letting them get involved in the batting order and where they play by position. But when it comes to COVID-19 and the vaccination, I would hand over all power to the players. And I would say, listen, I will give you whatever information you want, or I'll give you none at all. I will ask you to either get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. As a matter of fact, young man, I'm not gonna say one word to you. I think that's the only play left right now for these sports owners and these sports teams, because the amount of misinformation out there is absolutely downright scary. All right. We got to talk Marlins a little bit, don't we? Yeah, we have to. Something happened that, that bothered me a little bit. And I told you when Kim Ang got hired that uh, I was very happy for her, obviously. Very happy that she got hired. She deserves a GM's job. But I also made it very clear what her role was going to be. Her role was that she had to be front and center when things were bad. And she was going to have to let Jeter be front and center when things are good. And that's very normal. And I'm not criticizing Jeter. When things were bad, I was front and center. When things were good, our owner was front and center. Jeffrey, that's how it goes. That is the owner's prerogative. Well, the Marlins have lost a bunch of games in a row. And what's interesting to me about it, hold on one second. This is actually a call that I could, is there any chance that in the middle of a show that you would be offended if I took a call? No, nah, I'm not going to do that. So the Marlins have started losing games. They're in last place and they made the playoffs last year and it was a shortened season. Now they really got to try harder and they're trying whatever. So Kim meets the media and people were excited. They were wondering why, why, why now? Makes no sense. And the reason is what we used to do as well. When things are going well, we're going to meet the media every day. Jeter's going to be out on the field. He's going to be at BP. He's going to be behind the cage. He's going to be in camera view. Everything's going to be about Jeter, which is how it should be when you're the owner and the team is winning. When the team's losing, you stay in your suite a little more. You stay in your office through BP. You don't try to be around as much. You don't go to the clubhouse as much. I was the opposite. As you know, I would go to the clubhouse more when, when we lose and when we were losing than when we were winning because I didn't want to be that guy. So Kim meets the media and she was talking about Starling Marte. Starling Marte is a player who Mike Hill acquired and they picked up his option this year. So he's been on the Marlins now for two years. He's only making about $11 million. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Starling Marte is a perfect trade deadline acquisition. 
the perfect trade deadline acquisition for teams, not just the Mets. There's about 15 teams who could use some outfield help. Both teams in New York, as a matter of fact. And Marte can hit. There's no question about it. Although the Yankees don't need any more righties, but A-Rod will tell you about that. In any case, what I found very interesting is that Kim readily admitted that they have not commenced contract negotiations, extension talks with Starling Marte. We never wanted our GM to answer that question because we've already made the decision, just like the Marlins have now, they are not re-signing Starling Marte. Their payroll, given the natural raises of their younger players, there is zero chance. It's not even a wait to see, Coca. We could make it a bonus wait to see, couldn't we? I don't even want to, but we could. Maybe we should. Just remember I did it. The Marlins will not be signing Starling Marte. They may take the chance and give him a qualifying offer, but then they could get stuck with him, by the way. But he is going to get traded before the trade deadline because the Marlins have to be smart with that asset and they have to get a return on it. But what struck me is that Marte came out and said he would love to retire a Marlin and finish his career a Marlin and sign an extension as a Marlin. And do you know what my first thought was? Did you share this thought? Have you been listening to nothing personal and watching enough? I wonder whether he's hurt because that's the way a player talks when he's hurt. Hurry up, sign me to an extension right now. I'm ready to go. I want to be a Marlin forever. I've been a Marlin my whole career. Well, at least a year. I love it here I, I, because we made the playoffs last year. I, I can't tell you how much I love my place in Miami that I'm only renting. And I know it's hot during the summer, but my air conditioning works super well. Starling Marte doesn't want to be a Marlin. Starling Marte wants to get guaranteed money right now and get it signed before any sort of collective bargaining agreement, before any sort of lockout, before any sort of strike, before any sort of possible salary cap, before any sort of uh, ceiling on the number of years for a multi-year deal. Marte just wants to get money right now for all those reasons, plus the probability that he's hurt, by the way. That's a real possibility, I think. So I'm going to tell you about the Marlins one more time because we're doing our nothing personal pick of the day. And the nothing personal pick of the day is the following. We're 77 and 58. We've taken two days off. I've been watching sports. I've been thinking to myself who I would take. The Marlins haven't been playing well. They're playing the worst team in baseball. I don't even know by record if they're the worst, but when I look at their team, they're the worst. The Rockies. They've got Trevor Rogers pitching, and you know what a big fan I am of Trevor Rogers. Trevor Rogers is a player we drafted back in the day. It was a very exciting draft for us. We knew he'd be good. We didn't know he'd be that good. And Trevor Rogers is pitching against the Rockies, and the Marlins need a win desperately. So I'm getting back to pick of the day, and I am going to do the Marlins. I know, I know we haven't won with the Marlins. I get it, but we're going to try it. 77 and 58, I've taken a bit of a siesta. I hate a hiatus, and the pick of the day is back. Marlins over Rockies, Trevor Rogers for the win. So Trevor Rogers is actually a great example of a young player who the Marlins should sign to a long-term deal. Sometimes you sign players to long-term deals before they've even played a down in the major leagues. I just mixed a metaphor on purpose, by the way. Sometimes you sign a player after they've been around for a year, a half a year. 
Sometimes you know you're bringing them up and you sign them to a six-year deal because you want to make sure that you have them. Tampa Bay started that. The Philadelphia Phillies have done a lot of that. The Marlins haven't done much of it. Here's the problem with this theory about signing young players like a Trevor Rogers, who's had a very good first three months, who if you offered him a long-term deal right now, he would likely take it because pitchers want guaranteed money for the most part, not all of them, because they're one injury away, one Tommy John away from not getting paid and having their careers being over. But how do you decide which players you're going to pay? That was one of the toughest jobs I had as team president is trying to figure out with the GM when to go to the owner about which player to lock up. We wanted to sign JT Ralamudo early. That would have worked. There were other players we wanted to sign early and it wouldn't have worked. An example, we tried to sign Marcelo Zuna early. That wouldn't have worked. Not because of what he's going through, actually. I'm just talking about what he was going to get paid by us versus what he made in arbitration. Let me, let me make sure you're clear on what I'm saying. When you sign a player to a contract before they play, remember, the first three years are on the house. You can pay them the minimum. So just for math, say 5, 10, 15, half a million, another half a million, another half a million. That's a million and a half for the first three years. Then if they're a really good player in arbitration, let's just say they go to four million. So we're now at four plus one and a half, we're at five and a half. If they have another good year, they're gonna go from four to seven. That means they're now at 12 and a half. If they have another good year, they could go from seven to 12. And so you're looking at them and saying, are you gonna be the player, right? Who continues to progress? And if so, we are gonna get a benefit by guaranteeing you money right now. But if we're wrong, then you are gonna make money as though you've been performing. And if you hadn't signed that deal, you wouldn't be getting paid that money because you'd go to arbitration without these great stats. So it is a risk for the team and it's a risk for the player. The reason it's a risk for the player is sometimes you do even better than the way you were projected. Take a look at Ronald Acuna, right? He signed that $100 million deal. He got that guarantee. He was very happy with it, but he knows as if he continues on his current trajectory that he left, I'm going to say 60, 70 or $80 million on the table, but he had a hundred million dollars in his pocket and he's still going to get to be a free agent after six or seven or eight years. I can't remember his exact deal, but it's something he signed a very, very long deal that everyone criticized except me, because it may not have worked out for Atlanta. I think it will work out, but it was a big risk for Atlanta giving him that much money. And for Acuna, he had life-changing money, generational changing money, and there's nothing but upside for him once that deal runs out. So to me, there's no risk. But when you run a team, you are in danger of getting it wrong. I don't know if you saw the news, the Philadelphia Phillies sent down Scott Kingery. Scott Kingery is a contract that I've been following for years. Here's a little side story of what we do in a front office. We keep track of long-term deals that players sign at different stages of their career, and we remark those contracts each year. So we would look at the Scott Kingery contract who signed for six years, $24 million in uh, 2018. And we would calculate what he'd be making this year, given his performance versus what he is making. And then we'd calculate which teams are getting benefits and which teams aren't. And we would use that to try to inform how we would make our decisions. Because when you're a small revenue team, you cannot afford to make mistakes. You have to get this right. 
while Scott Kingery was sent down to the minor leagues, he has been an absolutely unmitigated disaster. He has not been a productive major league player in the least. So what'll be interesting to me is will this stop the Phillies going forward from signing young players? Will other teams start looking at examples like Scott Kingery, like the example of that player who never made it with the Dodgers and one with the White Sox, the moment the Diamondbacks, all these players who got paid so much money before they started, even the Tampa Bay Devil Rays have signed some players, the Tampa Bay Rays, excuse me, have gotten it right sometimes, but they've gotten it wrong sometimes too. When you're looking at Acuna, Coca just whispered in my ear, Acuna has club options at 13, 14, and 15 million dollars. That's Kingery, or is that that's Kingery, not Acuna? I'm not even talking about Kingery. Those it doesn't matter. Those options aren't going to be picked up. Why are you telling me to put that in the show, Coca? I thought you were telling me what Acuna's free agent numbers were and how the fact that he could get 25 or 28 million dollars in free agency. Instead, you're telling me about Kingery. Here's a way to see for you guys. The club option in 2024 for $13 million will not be picked up by the Philadelphia Phillies. Are we good? Okay. Wait to see. Wait to see is when we talk about something. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Are you awake, Coca? Are you awake? We're recording this rather early. Anyway, wait to see. Wait to see is when we say something's going to happen. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But we're always going to revisit it. I want to revisit something that happened to me yesterday. And I've had a bit of free time this morning because I did not appear on Dan Levitard's Local Hour podcast. And I know that many of you listen to Levitard and I appreciate all the fans who do. I appreciate all of you who have tried out nothing personal, who have heard of me through Dan Levitard and the Levitard show with Stu Gotts and the pirate ship and the dinghy and all that stuff. And I wanna make something very clear to you. I understand that they've got a show and I've got a show. I understand that my show is nothing like their show. I understand that I'm not part of Metal Ark. I understand that I've not been asked to be part of Metal Ark. But what I also understand is that out of the graciousness of my soul and the desire to increase nothing personal, I do the local hour because I'm trying to get you to sample me because nothing personal is my show, not the local hour. So when I go on the local hour, I'm doing it because I enjoy it. I'm doing it because I'm actually friendly with Dan on and off the court and Mike. And I do it because I want to get more content to you so you can get to know me because I'm running from my past so much. I'm running from the fact that I had to start at first and 20 because when we started nothing personal, I was this guy who had been fired by the Marlins who everyone hated in Miami and I needed to start over and I worked my ass off and I'm still doing that. But when I give my time every Thursday to Levitard and he doesn't ever say thank you, he doesn't ever say he appreciates it. He doesn't ever say anything other than I got to explain to people why I have you on the show because everyone hates you so much. Meanwhile, there's comments everywhere that people want me on that show. They wanted me on Freedom, that 24 hour train wreck that was so funny and well done, actually, that I should have totally been a part of because I'm a part of that pirate ship. And I say I'm in the dinghy because that's how I feel, even though with nothing personal, I'm the damn captain. And from my standpoint, what's the upside? And then I heard from you. And you said that you like when I'm on the local hour. 
And you said that it upsets you because you feel as though I'm punishing you, the fans, for not for my issue with Dan. And it's an issue. I mean, it's not, it's real. And the reason it's real is I'm totally disrespected. And it's not like I'm a former team president. That doesn't matter. It's not like I'm friends with him. That doesn't matter. I'm talking about what I add to his pirate ship. What was part of the reason that I gave him content all through COVID when I was doing single shows with Mike Ryan for 50 minutes every single week? And then it became this weekly thing that I continued to do that they turned into $50 million from DraftKings. Just the biggest part of the show is Ron McGill or Greg Cody or any of them, aren't I? So I had the conversation with Dan and I can't say it went well. I cannot say it went well because he has an overinflated sense of self and an overinflated sense of what makes that show go. However, having said all of that, wait to see. I'm going to go back in the local hour next week. You know why? It's just business. This is nothing personal. 